Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. I want you to take your Bibles this morning and go with me to that passage that was just read. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. We just sang the song, Is He Worthy? The title of this message is, The Lamb Is Worthy. Here we are in what is commonly called Holy Week, the week of Christ's passion. Significant that today, traditionally known as Palm Sunday, inaugurating this week, known as the triumphal entry, but really it was anything but, humanly speaking, triumphal. It didn't result in Jesus being crowned the king of the Jews and even the king of the world This triumphal entry is recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 12. The people joined in shouting as Jesus made his way into the city. They were saying, Hosanna, save us. We're looking for a king. We're looking for David's heir. We're looking for the royal root of David and they believed it to be Jesus and they were saying under the Roman rule save us deliver us rescue us they were waiting for the rightful heir to the everlasting throne of David and if we think about it many many have sought to rule the world Satan tried That didn't work. He was cast out of heaven. We read in the scriptures of Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, Alexander the Great comes along, and the emperors of Rome, the Caesars, Stalin, Hitler, Mussolini, go on down the line till we get to our day. And you have evil men like Putin, Xi Jinping, all the dictators of the world, those who are in offices of government and they view themselves to be the end. They care nothing of what God has revealed in his word. They care nothing of who God is and his glory. They care only of their glory and their agenda. Who is worthy? Well, on the global stage, they all die. They live, they, end, they, they, they carry out a reign of terror, and then they die. And they don't come back. And they will face judgment. The Israelite, the crowds this day were gathered, and they were ready to coronate Jesus as their king. Messiah is here. But he didn't come the first time to conquer. He did not come the first time, John 3 says, to condemn He came the first time to be crucified and to be crowned with thorns. Satan tried to 
tempt him to divert from the cross and from suffering. Peter tried to get Jesus, stop talking about the suffering. And Jesus rebuked him, get thee behind me, Satan. You're thinking humanly. Isn't that easy to do? Get caught up in elections and get caught up in all the political fray, which is not, I'm not denigrating that believers need to have a voice and a presence in the world. We're not running up into a mountain, into a cave, and just hide. How do we take the word of God, rightly understand it, and rightly apply it in the context where we live? That is always appropriate for us. Jesus' final week would bring a fulfillment to the divine plan for our salvation. But his final week, culminating in the cross and the burial in the tomb, would appear to be an absolute failure. It would appear to be, I guess, he's not the one we are waiting for. Who's the next one coming that can do better than Jesus? Jesus' enemies were filled with rage. The crowds raised the anthem of blessing, honor, and glory, and power as he arrived on the back of that donkey. Jesus, tell them to be quiet. You remember what he said? Oh, if they stop crying out, the very rocks will cry out. Who is this Jesus? The question for us this morning is, is he worthy of all of our praise and honor? Maybe you haven't answered that question affirmatively yet, but you're here, and I'm glad you are. Is he worthy of our devotion? Is he worthy of our lives? The scriptures are perfectly clear. John the Baptist, he introduced Jesus. John 1.29, the next day he, John, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Roman centurion exclaimed at the foot of the cross when Jesus died, there on Golgotha, Matthew 27, 54, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Decades later, the Apostle John recorded what he witnessed in the throne room of heaven. And in Revelation chapter 4, we see this vision unfolding that John receives. And in Revelation 4, it's all about the Lord God Almighty on the throne, that he is worthy, that he is worthy. Uh, uh, there in your Bibles, uh, uh, Revelation 4 and verse 8, and, and what do we see being proclaimed? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Revelation 4, 11, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. And then we move into chapter 5, and the very same level of praise, adoration, honor, blessing, and glory is given to the Lamb. So I simply want to say from Scripture and set before everybody who's listening, whether here gathered or online, behold the Lamb. Yes, I plagiarized it from John the Baptist, all right? But he's not going to come bother me, Okay? Behold the Lamb of God. Like seriously, stop your life for a minute. 
all the worry and all the stuff you have going. Put down all the devices and give your attention this morning to the Lamb of God. Don't let anything distract you from the Lamb. Yeah, but I got this and I got that and later on and this and that. Forget all that. Look at the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. Number one, what do we see in the first four verses of chapter five? Without the Lamb, there is utter despair. Without the Lamb, there is utter despair. The search goes out to find who is worthy to open this scroll. Do you know this to be true, that people who do not know Christ as Savior, what do they have? Despair. It's meaninglessness. And so we see unfold in this, and and really we want to move through this chapter like there's three scenes. There's three movements in this chapter. And the first one is dark. The first one is dismal. The first one is lights are out. It's it's not a good scene. And he opens up with this awesome scene, and, and it's in heaven. And when he looks into heaven, this is a transcendent vision of the glorious throne that's continued from chapter four. And words do not, we just sang that this morning. The best scribe, the best writer, with all of, you know, you could write it across heaven and you cannot begin to describe an inch of his infinity. The Lord God Almighty was honored and extolled, and we saw that in chapter 4. And here we see in chapter 5 that the Lamb will be given the same honor. It's powerful evidence that must be reconciled by those who follow the teachings of men like Joseph Smith, Mormons, Charles Taste Russell, Jehovah's Witnesses, Muhammad, Islam, those who are Jewish and they reject Jesus as Messiah, anyone who would deny the doctrine of the deity of Christ, the incarnation, where the second person of the triune God was 100% God and 100% man, and he was born of a virgin. Her name was Mary. And he lived the life that you and I could never live, sinless, And he died the death that you and I deserve to die. And he was buried and he rose the third day. And he's in a different category than everybody else. He raised from the dead. We see also in this awesome scene there at the throne room of heaven, we see the ancient scroll. And here salvation history is coming to its consummation What do we need to know about scrolls in the first century as John, the apostle, is is giving to us? He's written down this, this vision, this revelation, this unveiling of Christ. In the Roman world, a Roman will had to be sealed seven times for it to be recognized as authentic. So the more seals would be more power, more importance. Dr. Robert Thomas, he says it this way. He says, this kind of a contract was known all over the Middle East in ancient times and was used by the Romans from the time of Nero on. The full contract would be written on the inner pages and sealed with seven seals. Then the content of the contract would be briefly described on the outside. All kinds of transactions were consummated this way, including marriage contracts, rental and lease agreements, release of slaves, contract bills, and bonds. We're familiar with this, right? If you work in any type of uh, environment where you have to have authentication, 
Classified documents. There's a nice buzzword for our, our day, right? What do you do with classified? Here's where this, this contract, this important information would be fully disclosed inside, sealed, summarized, and then sealed seven times. And the only person that could open it would be the person that was authorized to open that scroll. And there would have to be witnesses. So what do we need to understand then about the scroll that we see in the hand of the Lord God Almighty as this scene unfolds in heaven? Well, the Hebrews, they also use documents like this. And you can just jot it down, Jeremiah 32 in the Old Testament, a transaction like this happened where there were witnesses. There, were pro there was a prophecy that this will happen and through Jeremiah, a transaction was made in a public center and it was sealed. Now we come back to Revelation 5, and here we have the scroll. It's in the possession of God on the throne, and it's the title deed to the universe. Who is the one that could possess this? Who had the capability, the power, and the ability, and the right to open this scroll? The right and the ability to rule the world, to rule the universe in righteousness. The one who would open it would bring fulfillment upon all the redeemed and would bring judgment upon all the unredeemed who rejected Jesus as Messiah. It's the dividing line of history. Jesus. You fall on him, you humble yourself, and you fall on him and you will find mercy more than your sin. But if you're stubborn against him and you refuse to bow your life to him, then this stone, the stone, the rock of Christ, will crush you in judgment if you die and not, you do not repent of your sin. I can't say it any more clearly than this. But who has the right to do this? Who has the right to bring about the full redemption of the redeemed? Who has the right to bring the retribution upon those who have rejected him? So the angel enters into a search and we see this unfold that a mighty angel carries out the search warrant. We, we see this in the angel's search. It was energetic. The proclamation was given with what the Bible says. John says it was a loud voice. Can you imagine? Did you hear, did you hear the thunder the other night? You see the lightning you know, coming through, and then all of a sudden, it just everything begins to shake. Picture that as the angel is, is searching who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? John doesn't tell us who this angel is, so we don't know. But when he proclaims this, it, it, everything shakes. It's a loud voice. His search was exhaust, exhaustive. He searched in heaven or on earth or under the earth, and his search came up empty. And John says, and no one was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Notice that when the angel says, who is worthy to open the scroll? Do you realize that Adam didn't stand up and say, here I am. I'm sorry, weren't you the one that plunged all of the rest of your descendants into death? Yeah, you're not worthy. Sit down. Notice that Hitler doesn't show up here. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't show up here. Oh, I ruled, you know, here's Caesar. I'm, I'm back. Here's Herod. Here's Pilate. Oh, I met Jesus. I talked to him. I'm worthy. No one. Notice that Abraham doesn't stand up. Notice that Moses doesn't stand up. David doesn't stand up. Notice that Peter surely doesn't stand up and say, here I am. After all, some believe the whole church is on me. 
I'm worthy. I've got the keys here. Let me have the scroll. He doesn't pipe up. He doesn't say anything. It's not the Apostle John. It's not any of the disciples. It's not the Apostle Paul. Well, he, you know, I was the last one called. Here I am. I'm worthy. It's absolutely silent. No one's moving. And so the plot thickens here. It's as if the lights are going out. We've been waiting on a redeemer. We've been waiting on redemption. We have experienced the full discord, the full brokenness down from the garden all the way until now. And somebody needs to come and take the scroll and bring it to its consummation. And no one answers. No one responds. And we see the apostle's sadness. The here John is overwhelmed with grief. He began to weep loudly. He was overcome with a sense of hopelessness. The same word here is used when Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He came up and he just looked over the city and he just wept over the city saying, oh, that you would have come to me. I would have gathered you. Like a mother hen gathers the little ones, I would have gathered you. And the judgment, the wrath of God would fall on me and you would be spared. You would be safe under my care, but you wouldn't come to me. And what's coming because you've rejected me, you don't even want to speak of the judgment that's coming against you. Peter, after he denied Jesus, and somehow their eyes connected in that scene, that evening late that night when he denied three times and then hears the rooster crow. And he sees the eyes of his master, his Lord, and he's, he's done exactly what he said he wouldn't do. Oh, I'll never deny you. I'll die for you. And a servant girl sends him running. This great man, and he cowers, and he goes out, and the same word, he wept bitterly. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Peter wept over his sin, over his denial, that here we see John is just weeping. It's this unconsolable weeping. The tears are flowing. It's brokenness that wrapped up in his tears are all the tears of all human history from Adam and Eve going out of the garden wearing skins of an animal, animals that died because of their sin to cover them. All of the brokenness when Cain murders Abel and the crying and the weeping all down through all the generations, all of the weeping, all of the sorrow, all of the brokenness, all of the sin, all of the shame, the wrong that has been done to others, the wrong that has been done by others to us, all of it, all the prayers, the saints, the persecution, the martyrs, and there's all of this weeping, and it seems like it's just going off into the abyss as if there's nothing coming. There's no one coming. We're broken, and that's it. This is the kind of despair that people feel when they're suicidal. And, and there's, no, there's no word to them. There's no hope for them. They, there is, but they don't know about it or they're not listening or they've heard it, but they haven't heard it. 
And John is weeping, and his face is down, and he can't even lift his eyes up. It's, it reminds me that when Romans 6.23, and Paul writes, he says, for the wages of sin is death. Okay, if that was the end of the verse, we're, we, we have nothing to sing about this morning. Okay, this is where the lights are going down, and then Paul says, but... Don't stop there. Don't check out on me yet. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we see the first scene here that without the lamb there is utter despair. And you might say there's only utter despair. Without the lamb. I'm, I'm wondering this morning, are you here without the lamb? Are you living your life as if you are the king? Oh, may you hear this message with your heart and respond. Behold the Lamb of God. Number two, the next scene, it shifts that through the Lamb there's ultimate victory. This is a major shift. You can't get more dramatic. This is coming out of a dungeon into a blazing full high noon sun. The lamb is worthy, the selection is made, and it's good. And so we see here the elder's consolation that he comes to John and he tells him, weep no more. Maybe as a parent or as a grandparent, you, you've had, you know, a, you've consoled a child in this way where they're crying and they believe something is wrong, they broke something, it's ruined, you're, you're never going to understand, you're never going to forgive me. And you, you just get down on their level and you say, hey, it's okay. Stop crying. That was just the most ancient, precious thing we've ever been you know, given in our family. That's okay. I love you. You know, I told you not to throw the ball in the house, you know. But you, you get down on their level and you say, hey, dry your tears. Stop crying. It's going to be okay. Look, look. It's all right. That's what the angel does. The situation looks like it couldn't be any more severe. But this isn't the end of the story. Didn't we just sing that? It didn't end there. It didn't stay there. And we all need this comfort. We all need this hope that extends beyond the grave. This is what is desperately missing as people chase through everything possible and they're inventing ways to identify now so that they can reject the rulership and the creator design of the Father God in heaven. But there's no hope in there. It's empty. It's chasing after the whirlwind. So we can take all of our grief, we can take all of our pain, we can take all of our suffering, all of our questions, all of our doubts, all of our fears, and we can go to the one who is worthy. And so the elder consoles John. And we see then the victor's identification. The victor's identification And this is what he says, weep no more, behold. Now, I like to hear this in the, the tone of an introduction being given, okay? Where the elder 
comes down to John and says to him, hey, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and it's seven seals. All right, so you feel this shift and you hear this introduction and John's head is still down. And he wells up that there is hope. There, there is one that this is the Lamb of God is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. That's the, the Messianic descendant of Jacob. Back in Genesis 49, that was promised when Jacob was dying. And in Hebrews 7, and he's the root of David. He's a descendant, the rightful heir to the throne of David. And then the elder says he's conquered. Jesus did not bypass the cross. He did not fall for the temptation, but he chose the nails. He chose the whip. He chose the thorns. He chose the cross for you and for me and for the glory and honor of his Father in heaven to redeem a people. So he was crucified, he was buried, and he resurrected as the ultimate victor. If anyone dies, listen to me now, and they stay dead, they are not worthy of your worship. You can take that message everywhere. If anyone dies and they stay dead, they're not worthy of your worship. But the lamb who died was buried and rose again, is he worthy? He is worthy. He is worthy. The Lamb of God has all authority to open the scroll and its seven seals. He learned obedience and therefore he is able to save to the uttermost and he alone is qualified to judge the unrepentant. It's the same scene from Daniel's vision in Daniel 7. Daniel 7, 13, listen. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man, Okay, so sometimes people say, well, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. For the Israelite in the first century when Jesus loved the title Son of Man, that was a direct, a direct connection to the Old Testament prophecies. They, as Israelites, knew exactly what he was saying, that he was claiming deity. They knew their Bibles. So he says, there came one, like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days. You see in the similarities here? And was presented before him, verse 14, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. And then Jesus rises from the dead. He comes to his disciples. And in Matthew 28, he gives the great commission. And Jesus came and said to them, how much authority? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So with all of this authority, he then commissions his disciples to go somewhere. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen? This is the commission. Well, what right does he have to tell me what I should do with my life? Because he has all authority. He's the one worthy to open the scroll. So we see then, and let her see here, this, the eternal representation Okay, so now there's another shift here. 
where he hears the introduction given of, of the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Th- those are all fitting if you want a mascot for a team. We're the lions. Well, sorry, you know, it, it falls short where we live. But anyway, it should work, right? We're the lions. No, nah, we might need to opt for a little, you're the little lambs, right? Maybe not this year. Yeah, that's what we've been saying how long. Okay, but the lion... And then you have the king, the root of David. This is a king, the lion king, okay? This, this is, this is you, you, when you lift your eyes up, you expect to see something majestic, something powerful, something that is, you know, like a superhero, different than us, better than us, stronger than us. But he lifts up and he sees with his eyes, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain. It's not what he was expecting. Loved ones, God crushed his son because of your sin. And you think that he'll let you slide on your opinions and your sin? He crushed his son for our iniquity. And by his stripes we're healed, Isaiah says. The Passover lamb, the word here is a lamb. It's not an old lamb that's near the end of its time. This is the, the little lamb, the little infant lamb, this young lamb. It's a Passover lamb. The Passover lamb in a Jewish household would be brought in to, to that Israelite family like a pet. And it would be brought in four days before the yearly sacrifice. And there would be time that that family would bond with that little lamb and they would care for that little lamb, that innocent little spotless lamb. And they would grow close to that. And don't you think that that would bring some serious questions from children to their parents? Why does this lamb have to die? You can opt with because God said so. Or you can be truthful and humble and say, because we've sinned. Most people opt for, if God is good, then why does evil happen? And they miss the real point that we all can reconcile, and that is what is wrong in here? And if God doesn't make it right, nothing else will. All too often, we do not take our sins seriously enough. It's common to make light of sin. In our day, it's common to video it and broadcast sin, abuse of people, excuse sin, justify sin, parade sin, have days of visibility so that everybody can see our sin. Romans chapter 1, Paul says, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That is as current as today's, tomorrow's headline. And Paul would write, just in case, you know, Christians are like, yeah, 
It's the world that's wrong. You forgot who you were? 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteousness, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? I've preached through Corinthians, so I'm not going to stay here long, but we have pastors who are just taking their white out, if, you could, if you're old enough to remember what that is, and just go right over that. And they're working tirelessly to bend, cut, adapt Scripture to this culture. Loved ones, that is not loving, it is not true, and it is not righteous. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then in a note of truth and grace and mercy, Paul says in verse 11, and such were some of you. Do you hear the tense there? He doesn't say, and such are some of you, and it's okay. Stop. Preachers, Christians who call, people call themselves Christians, Christians, and they keep bending and trying to make God adapt to culture. You cannot do that, and it's propping people up for the judgment, and they will look at the people just like in the Old Testament, and God warned his servants, if you don't tell them, blood's on your hands. If you tell them and they don't listen, their blood is on their own. But as people of God, we must speak the truth in love. Such were some of you. Well, what happened then? What took us from that's who I was to who I am? Well, he answers it for us. But you were, what's the word? Washed. Washed in what? The blood of the lamb. Do you understand why I said God crushed his son? And then people think, but he's okay. He's fine with me and, and my sin. That's idolatry. It's making up a God that does not exist and serving that God, which usually has me on the throne of that. You were washed. You were set apart, called out, sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, and such were some of you. I, I did a double in, in my notes here. I gotta find where it. You were justified in the, and by the Spirit of our God. I don't know how I did that. I copied and pasted it twice. Maybe we needed to read it twice. <laughs> Such were some of you. Do you remember who you were until Christ, in love and mercy, found you? And he saved you. Think about this. And he knows everything about you and he knows everything about me. Do you know what helps me greatly, immensely? I don't have to pretend he knows me, he loves me, and he is changing me. So what you think of me is not the most important thing. What he says about me is mo most important. What I think about me, not most important. What does he say about me? And if I disagree with him, I will be found out to be the liar. God cannot lie. 
the Lamb of God, now think about this, the Passover Lamb, but the Lamb of God, he still bears the marks of his death. I, I have it here, the eternal representation. So when, when John lifts up his eyes and he sees the Lamb, the Lamb still bearing the marks of crucifixion, the Lamb was slain. That Jesus didn't shed the, the, worst, the worst and most glorious moment in human history that changed time. He, he didn't discard that. He still retains the marks of his crucifixion in his body. And one day we're going to see him like this. And we will be reminded for all eternity the only reason that I'm here is because he was crucified, because he was buried, and he rose again, and he came after me. Praise his name. Every Israelite knew the account of God commanding Abraham to take his son, his only son, Isaac, out to the mountain and offer him back to God? Who does God think he is to ask Abraham to do this? Oh, I'm sorry. Did you think that God asks anybody, hey, what do you think if I do this or that? No. I mean, lest anybody think I have any ideas, just look at my bracket for the NCAA tournament. That's what the world would look like if I was running anything. It's just completely in shambles. God does not ask our opinion. He doesn't need our opinion. And then Isaac is on the way. They, they part with the others, and he says, Dad, uh, we got the wood here. We got the fire. You forgetting something, Dad? I mean, I know you're getting up there in years, but uh, you forgetting the sacrifice. Where's the lamb, Dad? And in Genesis 22.8, listen to this. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And he told the crew that he left a little ways down the mountain, we're going to go worship, and we are coming back. He didn't know how, but this boy was given to him long after he was dead inside, his wife dead for giving birth to children. Lord, you gave him to me the first time. I'll trust you to give him back to me, however this happens. And he went and worshiped. Jesus triumphed through laying his life down, and he identifies with us in every way except one. He is without sin. All of those sacrifices from the sacrifice, you know, in the, in the garden when those skins were placed on Adam and Eve, all the way down through Israel, they were all anticipating the coming sacrifice. Hebrews 10 goes into detail on that, but listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake. He, God, made him Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. What does that then do for us? Hebrews 7.25, I'm glad you asked. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's alive. He's alive forevermore, and so the Lamb of God is the only one qualified to take the scroll. In the presence of the throne, there we see, and did you notice what's the posture of the Lamb? You see the posture of the elders. You see the posture of all the other beings, and where are they? They, they fall down. They, where's the Lamb? The Lamb is standing. 
He's receiving worship. He's in the throne room. It's okay. He's God. Hebrews 4.11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and, is, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Doesn't that sound dark and heavy? Yeah, it is. But to believers, verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet say with me, yet without sin. Let us. Now what this does, the writer is opening the door of heaven. Understand what Jesus has done. And he has opened the way for sinners. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. John lifts his eyes and he sees the lamb standing as if it had been slain. The lamb slain for sinners. The lamb, he says, with seven horns. That's a complete, perfect omnipotence. That's all power. The lamb with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. This is complete, perfect, that's the number seven, complete, perfect, total omniscience. The Holy Spirit sent out into all the earth, the Spirit of Christ. So without the Lamb, there is utter despair. Through the Lamb, there is ultimate victory. And lastly, you see this, this upward, lift your eyes up, to the Lamb will be unceasing praise. To the Lamb will be unceasing praise. The Lamb of God is forever exalted. Three songs are the pinnacle of this exposition that Jesus is worthy. He is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Why? Because of all that he has done and where it is all going. This is hymn one. This is by the 24 elders. I believe this is the raptured church. So this praise song begins just there in verse in verse 8, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp. That's an instrument of worship and praise. And golden bowls full of incense, which are, this is the exposition right here, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? For you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Here's where we see that either to the redemption of God's people or to the retribution of judgment, the lamb is worthy. He's worthy to take the scroll. He is wor worthy to rule everything. He is worthy to receive glory. We see this in verses 11 and 12. Why? Because he was slain and resurrected. This is the second hymn. This is now all of heaven joins in, joins into this praise. Then I, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering. And this is, this is the, the highest number that they had, myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. They didn't know anything about trillions. 
Hello, we do, right? Trillions. This is just an exhaustive, I can't even count them. They just go on and on and on. Myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He's not lacking. We don't give it to him out of our resources. It's all his. He's simply worthy to say, it's mine. It's all mine. He's the only one worthy and many people have tried and there's great pain and sorrow when humans try to do this. He is worthy to receive the same honor and glory that is due to the Lord God Almighty. And this is him three, and now all creation joins in. Verses 13 and 14, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb." Be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, so be it. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is just like we studied in Philippians. That every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Philippians 2.9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is where it's all going. This is a crescendo. Did you hear it? Did you sense the, the movement of music in heaven that it begins? And there are those singing and they understand redemption, but there are angels and they don't understand about redemption because they have never been redeemed. And, and just a side note, when, when people die, they don't become angels, separate beings. Angels don't know anything about redemption. They're fallen angels, demons, and holy angels. And here we see that all of the angels, they, they, they can't sing the first song, but then they add their voice in, and then all of creation is right in there to him who sits on the throne and likewise to the Lamb. He's worthy. So it's fitting because Jesus was promised and given. He was slain and resurrected. He was victorious and exalted. Amen? So the whole book of Psalms ends, Psalm 150, verse 6. Read it with me. Let everything, let's try this again. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You see where it's all going? That's the whole psalm. All right. It's the whole point of why you were given life, loved ones. And the enemy will say, don't live for that, live for you. Live for what you want to do. Live for your opinion, your idea, your small kingdom, and fight for it and die for it. But I tell you, if you die in that, you will perish without Christ. And you will be in a place that was created for the devil and his angels forever and ever and ever. But God has made a way for you, a sinner, to be to be counted righteous. And this is the gospel. And this is where it's all going. And so while we're going through some crazy times, God in heaven is not one bit bothered. He's not one bit unsettled. He's not one bit worried. So we as God's people need to remember what the word of God says, preach it to our doubting hearts, our wandering minds, 
And remember, praise the Lord. Live to his honor and glory because he is coming soon. Without the lamb, utter despair. And that's why we're here is to say to everybody that through the lamb, there is ultimate victory. And to the lamb, we will give unceasing praise. This is the song of heaven. This is the song of the redeemed. This is my song. This is most of our songs. But my question for you this morning, is it your song? Do the people in your life know that this is your song? Or do they know us for everything else? Political party, whatever, whatever, what you do, what your entertainment is, what your career. Do they know all that? But do they know this? We have one week until Easter. How about we say, God, use me this week? Because there are people who be like, hey, maybe I should go to church. It's Easter after all. And maybe this week you say, hey, go with me. Okay. And this might be another opportunity where they hear the lamb is worthy. Let's stand together. Oh, Father in heaven, we, I couldn't wait to get to this message today. This is the message that we will live and we will die for because you are worthy, Jesus. I am not worthy. There is such great comfort to know that I can never be worthy, but you are worthy and you are good and you are righteous and you in your mercy, you saved me a sinner. I deserved hell and you made a way for me and you will make a way for anyone who will turn from their sin and trust in you. And I pray that today, today would be the day of salvation and that we would have our eyes fixed on you, Lord. For Jesus, you are worthy and we will live and we will spend our lives and be spent for the cause that lets everybody know Jesus is worthy. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.